Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to the Eastern Airlines Radio Show's Thursday broadcast of the REPA Radio Hour. Brought to you by the Eastern Airlines Radio Show and the Retired Eastern Pilots Association. We share stories and memories of the pilots who flew the planes of Fitzcarran Aviation, Eastern Air Transport, and Eastern Airlines. My name is Neil Holland, retired Eastern Captain and producer of the show. We hope you'll enjoy the stories we bring to you every Thursday at this time, and, and you will join in the conversation during the broadcast. It's a it's a uh, talk show at the end of our uh, program, and we welcome your comments. Now, let's get the show in the air. Repa Twenty One. You're cleared to start engines. Hey, Eastern 21, I see you have both sides started, and you're cleared for takeoff. awkward um, not very friendly ah uh, but she's too young oh she's uh, oh she bites nails she wears glasses I uh, uh, honey uh, no no the other uh, oh no oh she's married well uh, well Eastern presents the losers. Immature. <laughs> 19 out of 20 girls we see never get to be an Eastern Airlines stewardess. They're probably mm-hmm. good enough to get a job anywhere they want. But at Eastern, we're very choosy about whom we let serve you on a plane. It may make our job a lot harder, but it makes your flying a lot easier. We want everyone to fly. Oh, the girl with the glasses. Uh, no, the, uh, honey, uh, wait, uh, if you... Okay, Don. Oh, that was a great commercial, Mr. Producer. Uh, today our stories range, excuse me, from the sounds of aircraft you just heard starting up, or simply stated, from the mail wings to the huge Lockheed L-1011 TriStar, a.k.a. the Whisperliner. As we'd like to tell our first-time listeners, you can listen in with your smartphone or go to our radio show provider, at www.talkradio.com.
com forward slash Captain Eddie at 3 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. And then just click on the start arrow. Remember, it must be at 3 o'clock p.m. or your show will be given the message that the show has not yet begun. Many just call into the show at 213-816-1611. This will put you on the producer's board and you will have to, all you have to do to share your comments or join our discussion is to touch the number one key on your smartphone's keyboard. That will tell the producer to unmute your phone's microphone. Then you can just join in the fun. Now you can choose to listen or talk to the host. Now we're going to go up to uh, Long Island, New York. Captain Mike Scott, are you there? Yes, Don. How you doing? Good. Now let's sit back and enjoy some great aviation stories, as our producer said. Stories written by the pilots who flew the planes of Pitcairn Aviation, Eastern Air Transport, and Eastern Airlines. Stories printed in Reaper T and other publications. Harry? Thank you, Captain Mike. Uh, in our last episode, we started a three-part series of the interview our producer, Captain Neal, did with Captain Hassan Callaway. It proved to be very entertaining, and we have more to come. To many who knew him, Hassan assumed legendary status over his flying career, and not just with Eastern. As we will see, he even flew in Area 51 while on contract with Georgia Tech after his Eastern retirement. And then there's the Lockheed World War II P-38 story. As we share Reaper stories, Captain Jim, what do you have for today's show? Uh, thank you, Harry. You just mentioned uh, this man was never dull and always surprising. He even mentioned me in one of his stories, which we heard last week on last week's broadcast. <laughs> now, today, we continue sharing more stories of the men who flew the eastern skies. We started a three-part series, some of these magnificent men in their flying machines last week. Mr. Medusa, can you find that music in your musical archives? If you can, let's play it now, please. Callaway. He was an Atlanta-based pilot until his questionable retirement at the age of the years and a few months. Now, we'll talk about that later on. Would you share part three with us now? Okay, Jim. Here we go. Continuing our three-part series of the interview with uh, Hassan Callaway, Captain Hassan Callaway, for the last two weeks, we continue with his contract service after Eastern retirement with uh, Georgia Tech. And uh, the interview continues with Hassan saying, About this time, we were given a special assignment of taking exhaust gas patterns of C-130s and C-141s. Why, I don't know. All I did was fly the airplane. They would block us in altitude from Chattanooga to Knoxville, Tennessee, from 16,000 to 22,000 feet. We would brief at Dobbins and then take off. After a short time, the C-130s would overtake me. We had a big bubble on top of the aircraft like ones used by navigators and a very sophisticated oxygen system that cost over $20,000. We had a crew of nine, and the C-130s would catch up with us and make several passes or flybys, and we would take their pictures. 
we would use about 1,450 gallons of fuel on these missions. This became rather successful, and we got calls from Savannah and the C-141s waiting uh, us to take their pictures or warning us to take their pictures. Well, this was when I had problems with this co-pilot who didn't want to fly the airplane because he said it was unsafe. I called Randall Porter, the owner of Fulton Concrete, and a good friend of mine to ask if I could borrow Tim, uh, Tom Daniel, a light airplane pilot who was a corporate pilot, to do this assignment with me. Well, Tom agreed to fly with me. The guys were good pilots, but I could never get the cockpit discipline we had with Eastern. I mean, guys like you, Hal Nord and um, and I, would uh, when we flew together, we were on the same page. Well, some of these guys were in a world of their own. They would put the gear up and flaps up or down when they wanted to, just anything. And I don't care what you would say to them, you could never train them. We recently had a carburetor changed before the C-141 mission, and as you know, the throttles on the conveyor were like bungee cords, very spongy. When they rigged, when they rigged the thing, the throttles weren't exactly right. It had just received an engine change also. Well, with this spooky carburetor and throttles out of, out of rig, the cockpit management now came into play. We went over to Dobbins and did a briefing for the C-141 mission. Dobbins runways are about 12,000 feet long. Hell, how long is long? When I had always landed, uh, when I had, uh, when I land, I always land at the beginning of the runway like you're supposed to. Well, Tom lands and takes the throttles into reverse by running into the aisle of the airplane with him. Oh, uh, on that R2800 engine. Neil, I saw 3,400 uh, uh, on the tachometer, uh, 3,400 RPMs. It wound up like a $3 watch. I don't know how much manifold pressure uh, we pulled. We were going to the far end of the runway, and we must have had 10,000 feet left. But he went into this full power reverse, and we almost cut a new path to Highway US-41. I thought, oh, my God, I'm in deep trouble. I called the guy down in Miami where the engine had been rebuilt and asked him what he thought. He told me that uh, he had floated the valves when we went into that flat pitch and that he, w he, he wouldn't fly the airplane. I went against my better judgment uh, since the guys over in Savannah were, were waiting for us and I taxied down to the takeoff end of the runway and did an engine run up, which looked pretty good. I figured I had one good, one left, and one good one, one left, and if I could get off, we would be all right. When we got into the air, it ran pretty good, as a matter of fact. When we got into our routine with the C-141s, we were at 18,000 feet, and they were going over us at 19,000 feet. We were to do about 12 of these runs between Chattanooga and Knoxville. When on about number five or seven, one of these guys from the back came up and said, Hassan, one of my guys is not feeling too good, and I wonder if we can punch it out and go on home And as we have had enough data at this point. I told him, sure, we could. Well, I was southwest bound at 18,000 feet, and I punched the Loran and saw that Fulton County was 86 miles, and we started on, on the downhill. Uh, it was a beautiful day, and we got down just uh, east of Rome, the number one engine, which was the engine of concern. It just quit. I mean, an R2800 will write you a letter before it go it is going to do anything if you treat it right this thing just absolutely quit rather than go through feathering procedures and try to get it restarted which i wouldn't do it was a gorgeous day i uh, I, I, I went on with one engine and landed then taxied up to our regular place on the ramp we had an old boy working for us and if he had a high school education it would be pushing it Georgia Tech had sent him up to Nashville, Tennessee to get a, his A&E mechanic certificate. And when he came back, I asked him how he had done. And he, he said he had just missed three questions on the written out of 100. 
he asked me what happened, and I told him the engine had quit, and I told him it had quit hard. He asked if it had rattled, and I told him no. He said, you were out of gas. I told him, no way. I could be out of gas as we had our usual fuel load of 1,400 gallons when we left, and I had done this exercise before and usually had about 400 gallons when I got back. He said, well, let's see. We went up into the cockpit and turned the cross feed on and, and got the engine started right up. He told me he would drain the gas, and when he did, we got 75 gallons out of the whole airplane. That would have been about 30 minutes, and we were halfway through the mission. And I asked Hassan, or I made a statement, and someone got sick and wanted to go home. Sounds like fate is a hunter, Hassan. Hassan, that's right, Neil, exactly. What were the chances of that happening? I really enjoyed being with the Georgia Tech program and did about 2,500 hours in 13 years, and, and I didn't get hurt, and anybody, and maybe got some things accomplished. Then I ask, and all of this after retirement, Hassan? And Hassan says, talking about boosters and primers, I remember one time I went into Baton Rouge in the DC-3, and when I got ready to leave, I started number one engine, and zzz, it wouldn't start. The starter would turn, but the prop wouldn't. I called Buddy Duns, an old sarcastic eastern mechanic down in New Orleans, and said, Buddy, I can't get the engine started. I think the starter shaft is broken. He said, why don't you crank it? I said, how? Buddy said, by hand. I said, Buddy, drop dead. He said, well, if you won't, I guess I'll have to come up there and do it for you. I told him, yeah, I'll be waiting because I, I, I can't go nowhere. Sure enough, a couple of hours later, he shows up and says, Hassan, you think you're smart enough to do what I tell you? Go up there and turn the switch to on. That's when they had those big quart cups like the ones you, you got ice cream in. He got a couple of those and threw them down the scoop on top and told me he was going to pull it through, and he wanted me to hit the primer and the booster at the same time. He went out and got a hold of the prop, which was down with his which was down and with his left hand on the prop and another guy holding his right hand to keep him from being thrown through it, if it backfired, he pulled that thing through. On the first tug, the thing cranked right up. Hand crank a DC-3? I never saw it before or since. Then I asked Hassan, you told me that you were at LaGuardia and witnessed a crash while waiting for takeoff. We want to share. You want to share that with us? Sure, I'll be happy to. <laughs> okay, Captain Mike. <laughs> All right, boy. I especially like the description of pulling the reverse levers halfway back down the aisle of the cabin, and the twenty-eight hundred was so reliable that if it even thought about having trouble, it would write your letter before letting go, or That's something like that. And, yes, that was a mighty tight with only 75 gallons of fuel left in the tank. And, finally, hand-cranking the DC-3 prop, that was a trick. Now, well, would you well, have... I missed something. <laughs> where, where did the fuel go? Did he have a leak? He didn't, he didn't say, and I didn't ask him, Jim. I oh. wish I had. Yeah. yeah. Well, they had carburetor problems, remember, so... It changed the product. I don't know whether it was uh, coming, um, leaking out of there or where. But uh, at any rate, go ahead, Mike. <laughs> yeah. I said, anyway, when it comes to cranking that DC-3 prop, now that we've been, uh, it wouldn't have been a sight to behold. Yeah. You yeah. know, I pulled a yeah. uh, prop through on my Stearman to get it started. And what a workout that was on the Continental 220 engine. And I believe the DC-3 had uh, Pratt & Whitney R1830 engine, so trying to pull through that prop. And, and can you picture two guys, one holding the prop to pull it through and the other guy holding his other hand so it wouldn't backfire and throw him into the prop? Well, Mike, you've got a, you've got a radial engine, too. You ever prop that, Waco? 
No, I actually I haven't had to do it. It's, oh, it's the starter hey. always been working on it, but I, I got a <laughs> bunch of guys out at the airport that have uh, some steermans with the old wooden prop on it. And yeah. on occasion, they had to do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well. Okay, Jim. Okay, well, Ed, now, Mr. Medusa, uh, you got a next segment you can play for us on the interview with Hanson Callaway, part two? Sure do. Sure do. Here we come. Neil, that was an American Electra crash at LaGuardia. It happened about 300 hours after I checked out on the Electra. I forgot the year. Johnny Orr was my co-pilot. I, I saw him just the other day. You've been in LaGuardia many times, Neil, and runway 31 was straight into the wind that day. A gorgeous day with not a cloud in the sky. The taxi up and whole short strip is very close to the end of the runway. As you know, the runway had a displaced threshold. We called the tower and told them we were ready to go. They told us to hold as they had an American on base leg over Flushing Bay. I'm sitting at about 45 degrees to the runway, and here comes this Electra. I saw him on about a mile and a half final and could tell that he was very low. He began to settle and settle and settle. And I told Johnny that this guy had better do something, even if it's wrong. He kept coming, kept coming, kept coming. And he lipped the dike with the left main landing gear, one wheel deep. We're sitting here when the left wing comes off at the fuselage and two engines and props come flying over us. He still had the right wing and the right gear hit the dike but not enough to take the right wing off. The airplane is now flying on the right wing when it rolled and rolled over. Hit on the captain's side of the nose and rolled over upside down and backwards. 86 degrees, 186 degrees, and disappears beyond my number one engine. Fire on impact. I said, man, that's it. There can't be any survivors. I couldn't move as I was surrounded by debris. The same man who was looking after them was looking after me in the conveyor. The 90 people in the airplane unbuckled their belts and walked down the ceiling to the galley door. Now, did you hear what I just said? Unbuckle their seat belts and walked down the ceiling to the galley door. The door was about six inches off the ground, and the, the wind was blowing the flames away from the door. Ninety people walked off, walked off the airplane and didn't even get their shoes, buddy. When the airplane rolled over between the cockpit and the cabin, the door was crushed and the crew was trapped in front. Fortunately, there was a Navy pilot on board who knew enough to go around to the front and pull the latch, and the crew crawled out the window. There were four guys up front. The real captain wasn't flying. The check captain, the chief pilot, was flying. I was supposed to testify, but could offer nothing except what everybody else offered. They were simply too low. The amazing thing was that no one was hurt. Now, the next question I ask editor, uh, as editor to uh, Hassan uh, in this interview, I remember you had an axle problem in San Juan, didn't you? Hassan. Yes, that was on an L-1011 getting ready to go to New York. We were at the gate when all of a sudden the biggest jolt I had ever felt on an airplane on the ground occurred. I knew I had been had by the jetway or the Dobbs house truck. I unbuckled and walked down and walked back and looked out to see the four bogeys on the right. Two of them were on about a 45-degree angle. I said to someone nearby, I think I got a problem. They had another airplane next door, and we were offloaded and loaded and on our way in about 40 minutes. I came back through about a week later, and they had an airbag under it. And What had happened is that the axle had broken. Ryan built the axle, Ryan Aircraft, which was about five or six feet long. It was hollow, and instead of drilling a three-eighth-inch diameter inch hole, and and letting the water out, Ryan had to be spectacular and drilled an elliptical-shaped hole with a series of small ones. Uh, 
maybe three sixteenth bits and routed it out with nice smooth racetrack holes. One of these steel bits had broken off and electrolysis had set up inside the drill. It had cut that axle as if you had put it on a lathe. I told them that I was glad it happened before takeoff as I would have made a high speed turnoff to this to the ocean. They had to haul a, a whole gear assembly down in a C-130 cargo airplane. Editor, that's me. Hassan, I recall you had two engines out on an L-1011 coming out of Bermuda. Can you tell us about that one? Hassan, coming out of Bermuda going to Philly, I was at 18,000 when number three oil quantity went south. We shut that one down. Then, in less time than talking about it, number one lets go with the AVM spinning like a $3 watch. I knew we were in trouble. But here again, I was being looked after, and I still had the center engine with center line thrust. Someone asked me, what's the first thing I did? I said the second thing I did was to reply the, to deploy the RAT. That's the Ram Air Turbine. Then I was asked, of course, what the first thing I did was. I said the first thing I did was to say, oh, shit. We started back to Bermuda, and I had forgotten they had a ceiling when we took off. Whoever cares about 1,200 broken, but they constituted it constituted a ceiling, and they didn't have an ILS there. We went out by the book, went by the book, and everything turned out real good. Going downwind, the tower asked me, well, my intention were, and I said, if I had a sharp knife, I think I would cut my throat. Give me a long final, I told him, about nine miles, and call off the mileage to me. Don't forget the three-mile marker, as that's when things really happen, begin to happen. We found out later that the oil passage was through the inlet guide vanes, and one of the guide vanes cracked and, and leaked out all the oil in number three. Their three-spool engine, it's number two, which is called the N2, let go on number one engine and just gutted that whole engine out. They had three of these problems. One that I recall was in Mexico City with Joe Toth and his ferry crew were in Mexico City at night ferrying the L-1011 out. Minimum control speed for two engines out was about 190 knots. Then they rotated about 170 knots and lost number one engine. Remember, there were two engine ferrying now, only with sheer skill of those guys in dumping the fuel and the ground effect of the airplane were they able to get it around and back. That ended the scenario of fuel-changing engines. The next one was the L-1011 coming out of the Bahamas. The mechanics had left out the O-rings and they had lost all three engines. They got one back before landing. Another time I recall, I was out at the TNT airport uh, out in the Everglades that we did all of our practicing and making simulating, simulated ILS approaches. Suddenly, this Lockheed guy came running up from uh, front asking me if everything was under control, if everything was all right. I said, well, I don't know. It's the first time I've ever flown that, and we, have, we haven't crashed so I would say, we're, we're doing pretty good out here. He said, well, you think you can get back to the airport, Miami International? I said, well, I hope so. He told me not to do anything, but just put the power to it and go back, uh, go back to the airport. Just as I was coming in over the fence, the tower said, hey, you lost something off the airplane. I didn't, I didn't notice anything different. It landed pretty good. You know the airplane was inboard and outboard flaps, has inboard and outboard flaps, and are run out by jack screws. Well, the inboard flaps are as big as a wing on a Cessna 182. The inboard jack had run all the way out, but the outboard did not function. When I flared, I, it blew the flap up and over the tail, landing in a man's yard on the other side of the road. The Lockheed people said it wouldn't be a problem as this was an experimental aircraft and would be flown back out to the coast and the ones we would later get would be better. Well, this was comforting and we had a good laugh. 
were later to delivery of this aircraft. It was aircraft 301. Yeah. And then I asked him, uh, Hassan, did you ever work uh, on the management side or as we call it in the office? Hassan remarks, I considered it and they didn't ask me, but I asked what would, what would be the advantage. I was flying a pretty good trip and then could go down, go down to Houston one day and lay over for 30 hours on a ranch and run and fly gliders and come back to Atlanta. They told me it would be worth more money and I asked them how much more. They said about $125 a month more. I told them at 80 hours a month or what I was making, it would amount to about $1.50 more an hour and financially I didn't think it would be worth it. They told me to think about it, the prestige of having the job. <laughs> Lots of laughter was done at the time, as I recall. Now our next part will be on the lighter side with Hassan Calloway. Jim, what do you think? Well, Neil, i got to tell you, listening to you tell those stories brings back so many memories of Hanson. You tell the stories just like Hanson told the stories, you know, yeah. his hesitations and he was yeah. a great storyteller and, and uh, I know about a lot of this stuff too because like I've said before, I flew with Hanson more than any other captain with Eastern Airlines and I heard all this stuff and it was so entertaining to fly with that guy. Anyhow, I guess we're saving the best for the last of uh, the Hanson Callaway story. Can we hear part three now Mr. Producer? Yeah, and you know you're right about uh, the the way Hassan tells uh, a story. He does do a lot of hesitation, and during that right. hesitation, you almost have to edit out the laughter that we listeners. Uh, it, it's just so <laughs> it's funny to listen to the guy, you know, and and you wonder right. is he making these things up? I mean, this this happened to <laughs> all of this happened to this one guy, and here all of my hours in the air and years and so forth, I haven't had about one fiftieth of the incidents this guy I, I, had. I did, but he's so <laughs> believable, you know, he had to be some truth in there somewhere. Oh, yeah, uh, man, yeah. I, I, I just love to fly with Hanson Callaway. It was well, just a pleasure, a pleasure. I can tell you that this next series, I, I think now that he might have been making some of this stuff up, but I hear you say something, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, okay. just from what I've heard about all his Hassan interviews, I felt certain that he would have been a blast to fly with, and I guess Captain Jim can attest to that. Yeah. His, yeah. The description of the guy and the gal with the parachutist bailing out together, whoa, landing on the whoa, church. Whoa, 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 whoa. Are we ahead? <laughs> yeah, we're ahead. We... I got to tell this. This is the best story of all. The three weeks oh, okay. we presented I jumped this. The gun. So listen to this, and then you can add your comments. Okay, Mike? Here we go. Sure. Now, this is fun. Sure, Our last story is titled On the Lighter Side with Hassan. Hassan says, I was flying the L-1011 out of Seattle to Omaha. It was a cold winter night, and the doors would always freeze, especially in Omaha. When it was about 20 below, it seems you would always have a tailwind out there. Nothing was going on, and things were pretty quiet, as we must have been the only airplane in the air between the Mississippi River and the West Coast that night, uh, that time of night. I called Omaha Tower about 100 miles out and asked what was going on, and they asked what time I was going to be there as they would put on a fresh pot of coffee when I got in. Uh, we were on the first-name basis, so I went up to talk with them as we had about 45 minutes before departure. There was an old Boeing 720 sitting on the ramp in front of the terminal. It had been an aircraft used by one of the flying clubs, like the old Skylarks out of Atlanta. The club had gone broke, and a nudist colony bought the airplane. The controller said, you should have been out here the other day. They had all the models out around the plane looking at it. It sure was a sight. A couple of flights later, I was flying south when the controller called and said, Hey, you remember that 720 parked on the ramp the other day? Can you fly a 720? 
I said, well, I guess so. Well, they're looking for a pilot, but there's no there's one stipulation in getting the job. You have to fly just like they do without wearing any clothes. I said, there's no way I would do that. I'd have to have shoes on because my feet get cold on the rudders. I wasn't about to fly nude. Speaking of flying nude, I've got to, I got to tell this one. We barnstormed the Stinson Trimotor all over the country, and one of the last hurrahs was at Quincy, Illinois. They were having the world-class parachute jumping contest with 500 jumps a day. I don't mean a week or a month. I mean 5,000 a day. Excuse me if I, if I said 500. 5,000 a day. The Stinson was there about 10 days. The guy before me ran over a manhole cover and into the hangar and ripped the wings, so I only got to make two or three flights. But the people there weren't interested in going up anyway and coming back. They wanted to go up and jump. They had every airplane you could imagine. On one end of the spectrum was a guy with a pitz who would take a jumper in the front cockpit Go up, turn it over, and let him go. That was six. That was sixty-five dollars. They had DC-3s, Martins, King Airs, Cessna Caravans, and they would go up and to about thirteen thousand and jump, 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 jump all day. They started about eleven o'clock in the morning. They would all get dunkied up during the night. You would see signs all around town: skate naked, shop naked. Fly naked. On one of the last days, they had a Boeing 727-200 stretch fly up from Miami with no seats in it. It had 180 tie-downs on the floor. They would only drop 90 at a time due to the speed and the airplane over the airport. We were watching all the activity going on when some gals came up and said, you're not going to believe what we saw up there on that 727 today. They're loading it up with naked parachute jumpers. I went over to where they were loading the 727, and sure enough, all they had on was a parachute and a smile. I got pictures to prove it. They had an overcast sky that day, and I don't know what the pilot was using, Loran, GPS, or or something else. The airport was about 15 miles east of town, and he got mixed up and dropped them all over town. They were landing in shopping centers, parking lots, graveyards, and everywhere else you could think of. Can you imagine when they unbuckled and tried to get a ride back to the airport? (laughs) They had the stairway and door of the 727 removed, and they piled out of there like rats out of a burning barn. Another thing happened that was funny to us, but not to the guy it happened to, they had these big circus tents, kind of like the ones here at Sun and Fun. They would always jump in pairs, and guys and gal would jump together. One couple landed on the peak of this circus tent. Well, she got loose, but he came sliding to the down the to the corner post, uh, holding up the tent. Ouch! They they had only four fatalities. Uh, which wasn't that bad considering they were jumping at the rate of 5,000 per day. Now, I had to ask uh, Hassan also this final question. You flew a lot of trips out to Seattle and Portland. I was with you on a few of those, and some of those besides yourself. I really enjoyed flying to the West Coast with guys like Gib Gary, Bill Malone, C.P. Henry, Johnny Johnson, Russ Morgan, to name a few. And um, Hassan's reply was, oh, yeah, you and I flew several trips together. But Russ Morgan's, I was flying east out of Seattle, and Russ was coming west from Omaha one night. We were probably the only two airplanes in the area that night. I turned on my lights about 200 miles out, and he would turn his on, and we would tell, we could tell we were approaching each other. Russ had the greatest sense of humor, as you as you recall. When I was about 50 miles away, I blinked my lights at him, and he said, Hark, a light shineth in the east. Is that you, Hassan? I said, yes. He said, I'm going to put into Billings for some whiskey, women, 
water, and some fresh horses. Care to join me? He was one of a kind. The same can be said of Captain Hassan Calloway. He's one of a kind. Perhaps I may run into Hassan again this spring at the Sun and Fun Air Show in Lakeland, Florida. If I do, I'll make sure to have my tape recorder for any forgotten story Hassan may wish to tell. For it has been said that a good story is like a love affair. Any fool can start it, but to end it requires considerable skill. Well, Hassan does both with considerable skill. Storytelling, that is. Oh, well. boy, you're right. And Russ Morgan, I flew with him, and he was another good storyteller. That uh, landing in fresh women and feeding the horses, and I don't know. He, just, yeah. he had the passion of life and all over the place. Russ, I'm talking about. He was a great yeah, guy, yeah. too. Yeah, he was. He oh, really man, was. I tell you. I, I, it, I am reliving my career flying to the West Coast today. <laughs> well, I wish I could have interviewed uh, Hassan. Uh, at the Sun and Fun shows because we went every year and uh, mm. and we had dinner together uh, many of those uh, air shows I'd stay down there three nights two to, uh, three nights four days yeah. I guess it was and and uh, it it was so much fun being with Hassan uh, just enjoyed every minute of it I even had well, the I... opportunity one time I saw him at McCarran Airport uh, at Las Vegas. And I was flying a 7.5, I think, then, 7.57 flight out. And um, uh, I, I was talking to the gate agent and getting my papers, I guess, or something like that. The guy walks up and he said, hey, Neil. And I turned around and sure enough, it was Hassan Calloway. And he was kind of in a in a tropical shirt. And I said, where are you going, Hassan? He said, well, he said, I'm flying some flights for Georgia Tech and then he started telling me the tech stories uh, and uh, I thought I said well I was hoping you'd go you wanted to go back to Atlanta because I sure have a seat open for you here in the cockpit and uh, but what a great storyteller he was yeah yeah he could appreciate a good story and he could understand when he got one that wasn't and I'll tell a real quickie uh reaper can uh the uh, Reaper luncheon one day, Carrie went with me because we had some some guy that was supposed to be a great great speaker or something. We had some good speakers, and but this particular one for some reason wasn't very well. And of course, Hanson sitting with me, and of course he had to sit next to Carrie. He always liked to talk to the ladies. Carrie's my wife, but y'all don't know. And this guy got up and he spoke and he spoke and he carried on, and everybody just sitting there, you know, admiring this guy. <laughs> And wondering what the hell he's talking about, and Carrie said, and Hassan turned to her and said in a very loud voice, "Do you have any idea what this guy's even talking about?" And I tell you, I was embarrassed because you have a guest speaker come in. <laughs> you saw the, you know, but old Hassan, I mean to tell you, he he could uh, smell bull dookie a mile away, and <laughs> he tell you too. <laughs> he tell you right. <laughs> Oh, Captain boy. Mike, what's your thoughts about that, Captain Mike? Well, uh, listening to you guys talking about Hassan, he must have been one hell of a piece of work here. I mean, you should have mm-hmm. had longer interviews with him. I mean, it's uh, I know listening to uh, Captain Jim and yourself there, you guys all got a chance to fly with him. That was real great. But uh, And all this stuff about the, the naked parachutists and all that bailing out together and landing on the church steeple and all that. Very interesting. That could be, like you say, ouch, just puts a small meaning to the word. But, yeah, that uh, seemed like it was something out of the World War II movie. Uh, I think it was a bridge too far. But yeah. either that or it was the, long, the longest day, either one, where the yeah. uh, where uh, Red Buttons was hanging on a church steeple there in uh, right. France. And- yeah, Maria Saint Lagoulias <laughs> or something like that was the name of the town. Yeah, but I like but I guess the, uh, the Mike, one of the better parts he... about it was the, the nudist landing on roads and in in malls uh, <laughs> and all the rest of it, trying to hitch a ride back to the airport. That's a, probably got a lot of double takes on that one. <laughs> he, he got confused and dropped it all over town. He said. <laughs> 
Harry, Harry Lindquist, did you ever have the opportunity of meeting Hassan? You know, I don't think I did. I, I uh, had mentioned to Jim in, a, in an email that I did not remember him, and I don't know why. Uh, some of you guys when came did, around when did you come to lot, Atlanta? some of them doesn't. What's that? When, hey, when did you come to Atlanta, Harry? 72 or 73. Oh, yeah. Well, he was still around. Yeah. 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 Well, you, you but, know, he but, flew out of New York a, a little bit, too, Jim. Uh, he he, uh, he he'd go and get checked out on an airplane. and, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, Oh, well, boy. Well, it, it sounds like, you know, probably all of us in our lifetime have met only a couple of people like him, whether they were pilots or insurance salesmen or whatever. I met, I knew an attorney one time. That guy was the same way about telling stories. I would have paid to sit yep. around and listen to him tell yeah. stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but those yeah. Uh, those people don't come around very often. No, yeah. they don't. Well, he, he told me more of, 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 of uh, during the Sun and Fun interview that I did with him. And he says, now, this had better not appear in the magazine. <laughs> so, so I did a lot of that editing was, out. I did a lot of editing yeah, out. I, I, yeah, I'm sure you did. <laughs> oh, boy. Good thing he said yeah. that you were going to put it, don't put it in the magazine, so you put it in the book instead. Yeah. <laughs> I well, no, I, I, I really understood what he was talking about, and uh, – I honored that request, and you know, uh, he has a story, and I think we've talked about it a couple of times on the radio show, about his retirement, and uh, he didn't want to retire, of course, Hassan loved flying, I mean, uh, I don't know uh, anyone uh, that had as in-depth knowledge of airplanes as Hassan did. He'd fly a 720, even though he didn't have a type rating in it. And uh, <laughs> yeah. has to go out there and light it up and fly it out. You know? Yeah. He's that kind of guy. Yeah. But uh, he wanted to stick around a little bit longer than he was supposed to because we had retirement age of 60 back then. And uh, Hassan didn't have any problem with that, except uh, he, he knew that uh, he was, well, he knew he was 60, but he was going to extend it somehow or another. And, uh, Jim, tell your part of the story, what you know about that, and how he okay, remained well, on I, 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 a little I, while longer. Well, I got it straight from the horse's mouth. <laughs> QBs, uh, it must have been 78 or something like that, because I checked out in 78, and I was the number one guy on the bid. Uh, pretty sure it was 78, maybe 77. And... Uh, but I missed flying captain by one number. And at the QBs, uh, Hanson told me what he did. And uh, he actually became his own younger brother. And <laughs> the, the way he worked it out, believe me, this is a true story. <laughs> because I was, it might not have been true, but it's true that that's what happened. Uh, on April the 19th, 1917, uh, Sam Hanson Callaway was born to his parents uh, in the vicinity of Jackson, Tennessee. Unfortunately, he died before the sun set. And exactly two years later, you ain't going to believe this, but exactly two years later, they had another son. And they were so sorry about grief-stricken that they also named him Sam Hanson Callaway after his (laughs) own older brother. So his birth recorded uh, in Tennessee is Sam Hanson Calloway. Well, somewhere in a distant past, his birth date at Eastern was changed. Now, Hanson had a way with the gals, and he <laughs> used some secretary down there in Miami or somehow, and him on his employment records, uh, all of a sudden, uh, he was it was changed to April the 19th, 1919, two years exactly later. Spring of 17, he was supposed to be 77. He was supposed to be retired at age 60. But he had a letter from an old aunt, and this is, I'm getting this straight from Hanson, from an old aunt who said that her Bible was recorded 
and he was born in 1919 and had the same name as his brother who died and before the sunset. So, <laughs> so he got a court order through the state of Tennessee and that he said that he was younger than they had him and it was a terrible mistake and would they do something about it? Well, the state of Tennessee is always having people trying to be older than they are. And they never had anybody trying to be younger than they were, so they <laughs> approved it and sent him a certified letter on the state of Tennessee, stationary and all that. And so he went into Eastern when the, they were doing the rundown for the Section 28 bid, and he said, here, look at here. I just found out I'm two years older than I, uh, younger than I thought. I was born in 1919. <laughs> and they said, oh, boo And uh, <laughs> he pulled out that letter from the state of Tennessee, the uh, rural vital statistics or something. I don't know what it was. And uh, they presented it to uh, the Section 28 committee, and, and they came out with a flow bid. You know, that's a bid that's in just a few spots open up and that kind of stuff. And Hanson, by George, he's now still applying the, summit, uh, the 10 11 to the West <laughs> Coast, you know. And uh, and he did that for about, uh, I think, maybe about four or five months. And uh, he came in, and I wasn't there, but I talked to uh, a guy that was the chief pilot's administrative assistant. I can't remember his name right now. And he was out there, and they had a highway patrol, the Georgia National Guard, the sheriff's department, the Boy Scouts. They had everybody. And met that airplane when it came in from from Seattle to Atlanta. And they took everything Hanson had. And he said they even took his driver's license and everything. <laughs> and he couldn't even drive a car. He had to call somebody <laughs> to take him home. <laughs> and that was the end of his flying career. And I was well. sitting there listening to this as he telling me the story. And, oh, yeah, the courthouse record. The courthouse burned, and there was no record. But that's why they used the Bible thing. <laughs> and that was the true fact. It actually burned down, Hanson said. He didn't have to make that up. <laughs> And he said, I said, well, Hanson, this is a hell of a story. And he said, yeah, it's pretty good, wasn't it? <laughs> he was proud of it. And then he went to work for Georgia Tech, and you heard all that other stuff. But, oh, well, Hanson, Jim, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I was uh, flying with Julian Betts on the 1011 at the time, and this was all mm-hmm. happening. And Julian was number two on the seniority list, and Hassan was mm-hmm. number one. Now, this is Atlanta seniority. And Hassan mm-hmm. was number one on the list, so Hassan was getting all the better trips, and Julian didn't like it at all, and he knew that Hassan was lying about his age, about mm-hmm. you know the newfound age of the Bible and all that. And yes. Julian actually took a trip to Tennessee, and he looked into the courthouse, and he was telling me, <laughs> I forgot exactly how this was happening, but he was not about to let <laughs> Hassan fly a day longer. I mean, I guess he's really instigated all of this uh, investigation. So you're saying the courthouse didn't burn? Didn't burn then? I I don't guess so. I think he found it. That, uh, I think his aunt was a nurse too, and she worked in the uh, in the hospital where all this birthing <laughs> was was happening. And um, but at any rate, what a what a fascinating man he was. Became oh. his own. Younger brother. Younger brother. Yeah. <laughs> you must have had a lot of fun with the IRS with that uh, with those two birthdays. Yeah. Hassan didn't care. No. <laughs> he he didn't care. Well, and told good stories in prison. <laughs> yeah. I miss old Hassan. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. Well, that was good. Uh, good storytelling by uh, Hassan Calloway, and uh, fortunately, I did the interview, and I enjoyed the, uh, I, I can read the story over and over again, and, and it is in uh, the Repartee magazine, but uh, I printed it in the wings of many, so it's a great story. Uh, there's some great stories in that book, and Dorothy, tell folks how they can get a hold of the wings of many, if you would, Dorothy. Well, it- that's sure. That's very easy for folks to do. All I have to do is send in a $40 donation. And of course, that donation keeps the 
EAL radio show on the air twice a week. Uh, We have a great show. We have two great websites and functionality to go there at any point and see any or hear any one of the many, many uh, episodes that Neil has programs on. Uh, And uh, with that $40 donation to the EAL radio show, to Neil at his uh, um, office address that we have, which I'll give you. Uh, That $40 entitles you to the Wings of Many book, which Neil has written. And, of course, as he said, there's many, many stories that you folks have in there that you'll really enjoy. Uh, So uh, think about it and uh, be sure to send in to the EAL radio show at 9776 San Jose Boulevard, Suite 12B in Jacksonville, Florida. And Neil will send you a signed copy of his Neil's books, Wings of Many. And don't forget, we have our upcoming show on Monday, Air Safety and Bird Strikes. And, of course, that's going to be followed by several other shows that we're getting in the wings here for everyone And uh, we are planning on, in the end of September, having a great Radio Hall of Fame, too, as well, for the EAL radio show. So be sure to join us and check our website. Every day there's the information up there on our upcoming programs as we get them. And then, of course, our e-blast each week will keep you advised of all the programs, including the next one, which is the Reaper airline show on thursday back to you neil yeah and that book uh, the wings of many i'm holding it in my hand right now uh jerry frost did a wonderful uh picture imaging of all the eastern airplanes and put them on the cover of uh, of the book and they, if you could see through uh, some of the spaces between the airplanes you would see Atlanta Hartsfield International Airport down below. So they're all flying over Atlanta and the DC-7. Um, the Pitcairn Mail Wing even is here. And a beautiful picture. As a matter of fact, Jerry blew up one for me. At, uh, it was about three feet by four feet. And uh, I, uh, I have it uh, on my wall. It's a beautiful picture. Jerry does wonderful work with uh, Photoshop and, and his art, 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 uh, art talent. So, um, it's a, uh, it's a good read and fun stories all through the book. So be happy to send you out one. Okay. Great show guys. I really enjoyed it. And I don't know what uh, can follow that act of Hassan Calloway for our next (laughs) radio hour. It's going to be hard trying to search, for uh, stuff like that. I'm going to see if I can go through all the back issues of FRT and find if uh, Hassan wrote letters to the editor. Maybe I can see some of those embedded in the material that I have here. But uh, great show. uh, Neil, I just want to mention again that it's Carrie Holder's birthday today. Am I correct, Jim? Yes, he is. I'm taking her out to... uh, Burger King nice dinner up at Mount Night Burger King. What's the name of that place? I can't remember. <laughs> Roundup or something like that. Uh, you get the two for one special. I'm taking a Longhorns. Longhorns yeah. to get her a good steak dinner here in about an hour. There you go. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, Somebody else too. had a birthday today. If George Jim, Jim is that's listening right. by any chance, his birthday is tomorrow. So, again, we wish both of our hosts a great birthday. Mm-hmm. Okay. Great show again, guys. And let's put the music on and and see if we can All right. land the airplane. <laughs> We've already landed. <laughs> God, it's all yours. Okay, thank you. Well, I guess our, that's our sign-off music playing in the background. So we'll see you again next week, same time, when we continue our trip through the pages of Repartee, as printed in the magazine of the Retired Eastern Pilot Association. And remember the EAO radio show Monday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, 
when we talk about bird strikes on aircraft, or as the producer calls them, B1RDs. <laughs> I thought it was, was BYRD. <laughs> and by the way, if you haven't visited our website, it's www.eaoradioshow.com, and you'll find many more great Eastern stories. It's time to say goodbye. So, on behalf of all of our hosts and our producer, Captain Neil Holland, this is Don Gagnon saying so long, Eastern family. We love you, Eastern. We love you, Eastern. Okay, good job. Thanks a lot. See ya. So, so long. Headed somewhere in flight. They're taking you away. Leaving me lonely. Silver wings. Slowly fading out of sight. Taking you away and leaving me lonely, silver wings, slowly fading out of sight, slowly fading.